Welcome to Radio KAL, the Superman podcast brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. This is show number 77, released on May 25th, 2011. My name is Steve Eunice, and joining me is my co-host, Scotty V. G'day, Scotty. That's right, everyone's favorite talentless hack. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we've had some interesting comments on the website lately, especially in regards to, uh, well, the, the speeding bulletin and uh, your comments regarding Smallville uh, in your Great Scott uh, segment. And um, just in Smallville in general, it seems to really, um, you know, it, it really angers some people. Well, I've I've noticed uh, even before I started doing the uh, segment and uh, in reading Neil's reviews over the years and in just looking at, at uh, blogs and in postings in general that people get real fiery. It's either um, it's either they really love it or they really don't like it, and and they seem to take it upon themselves to attack each other one way or another. Sometimes, not everybody. Yeah, it really polarizes the fandom, uh, and for some reason, it seems to be Smallville versus the movies. Um, yeah, know, they say, "Oh well, if you don't like Smallville, then I hope the Man of Steel really, you know, <laughs> is is horrible." It's like yeah. you, ca- you can't enjoy both for some reason. It seems like maybe a lot of uh, the real uh, the people who say that kind of thing about Smallville probably started enjoying any type of connection to Superman uh, being that they started watching Smallville. Yeah. In other words, they weren't necessarily big fans maybe beforehand, and now this is their Superman. They don't read the comics. They don't, you know, maybe. I don't know. I'm yeah. just guessing. And that and that Smallville has been to them what Superman, and, and you know, with the WB being what it was and now the CW, uh, I'm pretty sure, and I don't think I'm out of line in saying that the the, the general um, viewership that they're looking for there is a little more younger skewed. So they're not less necessarily looking for you and I. They're no. not necessarily looking for people who read comics in the 70s and the 60s. They're looking for people that are uh, in, were in their teens when, the, when, the, uh, when Smallville started or yep. even younger. Yep. And so it makes sense that now those people are 20 or, or maybe still in their end teens and, uh, and this is Superman to them. Yep, and, exactly. and Christopher Reeve films that, that a lot of people... Uh, sometimes compare it to are really old compared to uh, Smallville, which started in the new millennium. And uh, it kind of is the modern uh, reinterpretation of Superman for a lot of people. Yep. Uh, it's funny because in the beginning I had a lot of people say to me, why are you reporting on Smallville on a Superman website? And I go, well, because it's the story of Superman before he became Superman. They go, oh, really? I didn't know that. So, uh, I, yeah. I've had people say that to me too. I don't. It hasn't happened recently because nah, it's in the last few skewed. years they've been using the S symbol, and you know. But uh, back in the day, uh, when it first started in the first few seasons, young kids just thought it was another romance about teenagers who got naked in showers together and <laughs> and and did horrible things to each other. They just thought it was a another typical. And and that's that's a lot of the time where my ire comes from because yeah. it kind of is it 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 is still one of those typical CW shows about teenagers who do things that most teenagers couldn't dream of doing and shouldn't be doing, and then they slapped on some of the names and places and characters from the Superman universe. Yeah, well, let's get into t- discussing the uh, the last few episodes of Smallville. Um, 
Dominion was the one that uh, aired after our most recent podcast, uh, number 76 of Radio KAL, and that was uh, the one where General Zod uh, reappeared. Callum Blue was back as Zod, and uh, Clark and Oliver went into the Phantom Zone to uh, confront Zod. Yeah, in general, <clears throat> I actually thought the episode was pretty entertaining. Uh, it was r- kind of wrapping up a storyline uh, with Zod and, uh, you know, bringing him back for that last time and where is he and, and what happened to him since Clark dove off the building, uh, plunging his knife into him and sending him into the new dimension where all the zoners got to go. Um, but I but I will – I do have a few questions. I don't know if you know the answer. I don't know if the fans know the answer, uh, the listeners know the answer. Uh, as I was watching it, I was remembering the other times they had visited the Phantom Zone, and I was remembering the whole – uh, season-long arc where the phantoms were loose and he had to track them down. And uh, and I'm wondering, if people go into the phantom zone and become phantoms, then then why is Clark, Lois, Kara, Zod, Ollie, why are they ever able to be solid bodies and fight each other or have leadership in a throne with lackeys that can drag people in, and yet there are still phantoms flying around. Where is the differentiation, and 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 is that just another dropping of the ball where it would be cool if we trap Clark in the phantom zone, but he and Zod and some other people are going to have bodies, whereas other people who get trapped there don't? Or am I just missing something, or... No, I don't know the answer to that. The only thing I can think of, and I haven't explained it, it's not something that was explained in Smallville that I know of, is that uh, perhaps when people were sent in from Krypton, they were were sent in like they became phantoms where other gateways in, uh, they go in as full body forms, as humans. Um, so, yeah, I'm not sure why why that is. It doesn't, like I said, I don't recall any explanation why there are some phantoms and why... Uh, others uh, go in as full body people. Uh, interesting. Because there are times in the comics, a lot of people who are listening might not read the comics, but just to inform that a little bit, people do get trapped in the Phantom Zone or mm-hmm. get thrown in or have to go in to try to rescue someone or do something, and they are the same as everyone else in there. They're phantoms. They're, they're not, you know, but there are, there are some pockets within the Phantom Zone where, um, some people have found a way to have their full body and be able to touch people and, and have a life in this horrible place. Mm. But that was never really covered. They didn't really say, oh, well, in this spot, or if you get pulled in from here, or if you, you know, drink the blue bottle before you come in or swallow the red pill, then maybe you can have a full body. So so it's things like that with Smallville throughout the years that while I'm enjoying the episode – I get pulled out of it every time because I go, but wait a minute, why is this light? It doesn't make any sense. Why? Yeah. And and it, and like you said, it's never been explained. So it's like they kind of throw it, uh, they throw it out in the writers room, and they go, yeah, that would be cool. Let's have Ollie and Clark fight each other in the Phantom Zone, and Zod can be there laughing, twirling his mustache, you know, and it'll be great. And then who cares that it doesn't make any sense that people are supposed to be phantoms. Mm. And so then I just, and I, I'm, I'm there trying to watch the show and I'm losing parts of it because I'm trying to figure out that I forget something that I, that I, 
you know, because there were whole periods of time where I would watch two episodes and then it would be seven months before I watched any more. So it was very possible that I missed something or forgot something. Yeah. But I didn't think I did in terms of this. And I thought every time they showed the Phantom Zone, I had the same questions and I never got them answered. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting the way in this episode that they brought the clone Zod and the Zod that was sent into the Phantom Zone by Jarrell into the they they were merged into one one being and so that we only have the one Zod um left in the Phantom Zone at the end of this episode. I thought that was kinda cool too. Um neat because we were wondering going in, would this be the Zod that was originally trapped there, or is this the Zod that uh that Clark uh, sent off with the other zoners? And the question was going to be if they didn't cover it, how did he get to the Phantom Zone? Because that is not where Clark sent him. Yep. But they do cover it with Zod himself saying that his good friends, uh, the other zoners, sent him there as punishment for what he had done to them. Yeah, the other Kandorians. Uh, uh, with them being combined, though, it goes back to my earlier thing, and that and uh, that kind of is. So now the Phantom Zod can be loose in the real world and combine with regular people like Lex Luthor. And he can also combine with other people who are trapped in the Phantom Zone, kind of unexplained, unexplicably and for no particular reason, just because it would be kind of cool if they did that. But, mm. you know, I, it, it was cool. So I guess sometimes if something's cool, you can just look past it. <laughs> and then the, uh, the episode that came after that, which was the second to last uh, as far as the weeks were concerned, it was, you know, with the finale being two episodes in itself, uh, Prophecy was the one where uh, Lois was taken to the Phantom Zone by Clark so that he could announce his uh, decision to marry her to Jorel. And uh, as a uh, gift <laughs> to them, he uh, gives Lois Clark's powers, and Clark is powerless. And uh, it caught the eye of some people, some fans saying, you know, why in the second last week are we getting another of these transfer of power episodes, but it kind of had some reasoning to it in regards to Lois understanding what Clark has to go through and um, Clark realising that, uh, you know, uh, what it means uh, to be, uh, to have these powers. Yeah. Uh, happy wedding, guys. Let me screw with your lives <laughs> Thanks, some more. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying on that, and uh, that was... In my mind, that was the writer's way of saying we want to do another cool power transfer episode, and we really haven't done one with Lois yet, even though she's had the power of Egypt and she's been flying around and she's she's had powers. We've never actually given her Clark's powers, so this is new. <laughs> Wrong. It's not new. It's been done over and over, sometimes twice in one season with different characters, sometimes the same characters. People have had Clark's powers We've seen it. Uh, I liked it best uh, when it was Leech in the first season. Um, and we really didn't need to see any more, but okay, they wanted to give it to Lana. Okay, you know, now they want to give it to Lois. It, and, and again, the worst part of it is that we're one episode from the finale and, and it, we're seeing another episode that's kind of filler. And not only that, but, uh, and we'll get to the finale, but Jorel has again. Another thing in Smallville that has not been explained. Is he a complete jerk? Is he a magical being that's still alive even though he isn't? Is he a computer program that the real Jor-El programmed you know, years ago before Krypton exploded? Is he this all-knowing, omnipotent god? Does it, it, does it, am I the only one that has a problem with everything that Jor-El can seemingly do and everything he keeps doing to say, 
I love you. I'm just putting you through these tests uh, in a jerk kind of way, but it's it's all good because they're part of your, uh, your 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 testing in order to get to your superhero phase that I somehow know about, even though I've been dead for years. <laughs> yeah, the whole Jarrell thing did. I mean, if he was that smart to build an an AI that was that advanced, then why couldn't he save everybody except Clark? Uh, <laughs> you know, on Krypton. But well, the um, other thing is about saving people on Krypton, and I guess they kind of did away with those portals by saying. Oh, they're all closing now. Why are they closing? And if if these portals have been open since the early days of the Earth, when people could go back and bury these crystals and and pieces of Krypton, you know, that season where they were going around the world trying to find the relics, if they could do that way back in Egyptian times... Then, 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 why aren't the portals there now? And why can't they all just go through these portals? And what were these portals in the first place? Where do they come from? How do they even have the ability to just walk through them and be on Earth? Um, I mean, an episode like uh, the one in 1961 where uh, Tom Welling actually played Jor-el, and 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 it was kind of, it was real cool. You know, I liked that that we found out that that they sent him there on purpose and they knew he was going to be with the Kents and but I'm not really sure that I like the way they they came about saying that oh they were able to do that because they've been here millions of times by just coming through these doors yeah and if they uh, could come here yeah. and have these superpowers then why wouldn't they stay here yeah, right. Let's go back to that place where uh, we don't have superpowers. And that that reminds me of Maxima, who comes to Earth in an episode because she's looking for a strong Kryptonian who she believes landed on Earth, and he's the only one who's a match for her. But in reality, if she has powers, which she seemingly does, and they don't say they came from Earth, uh, she would know that Kryptonians were pretty much just like humans – on Krypton and didn't have powers and therefore also wouldn't be able to battle her or be her warrior equal and therefore able to marry her. Hmm. Yeah. Another inconsistency. Yeah, again, we're not talking about that, but <laughs> <laughs> I get it. <laughs> it's hard. It's easy to get carried away, but uh, sure. then we get to the finale and we've, uh, you've, you know, you having, you've had your say or having your say in your, um, in your great Scott segments uh, in the Speeding Bulletin videos, and I love the way you've uh, done the time travel thing with the Legion ring there. Um, but and I've had my say in the, uh, in the uh, commentary that we did for the finale that I did with Neil Bailey and Jeffrey Taylor. Um, but here on on Radio KAL, uh, you know, what are your succinct thoughts on the finale? Well, I'm going to try and mention a couple of things that I don't mention in my Great Scott thing. Uh, I think the series as a whole over 10 years let me down, and I'll tell you why. Not because I don't like Tom Welling, not because I don't like the casting, not because I didn't like the idea. When this was announced back in 2001 or whatever, at the end of 2000, 10 years ago, I was psyched. I was excited. I thought it was a great idea uh, to explore the entire uh, youth of Clark and see how he becomes the man he's supposed to be. The reason I think that they dropped the ball on it is because I don't really feel in my heart of hearts that they did show us how Clark became the man he's supposed to be. I think what they did and what they did with a lot of other subjects on Smallville is they said they wanted to get to point Z from point A and they had so much time to get there. You know, if you look at the alphabet, you have from A to Z, you have 26 letters. So normally you would use 25 of them to show a progression to where you get to the 26th letter and now you're at Z. But the way Smallville did it is they used 22 or 23 episodes 
to do filler and Lois flying and Lana flying and look at these kids having a shower together and look at this Kool-Aid made out of kryptonite and look at these witches. And then on the final episode, they showed us a little bit of mythology and we were supposed to go, oh, that's great. I love that. And most of the time we did because it was cool to see it. But then when you look back at it and you go, they really didn't do any formation to get to that. It just was there. Suddenly the glasses are there in the final season. They were only mentioned a couple of times, but it was never in practice, but now it is. Uh, Suddenly Lois and Clark love each other, even though they didn't even know each other existed a few weeks ago. Just too many jumps, too many leaps. And like the Star Wars series that's supposed to prequel the originals that we all loved so much, I feel like they misused their time. Smallville had 10 years. Movies don't get 10 years. They get three hours at most, and sometimes they get three movies. So they get two hours, two hours, two hours, and they have to kind of cram everything in. Smallville had the rare opportunity of having 10 years to show us the development of these characters and these stories, and they misused it horribly, in my opinion. Yeah, I felt that they, towards the, I mean, I felt like the four, first four seasons were kind of doing what we thought the show might do, but then they kind of realized, look, we're running, you know, we keep getting renewed and we don't really know where, you know, we keep having to push the finish line further and further away. So what are we going to do um, between now and that finish line? And um, they thought, well, let's let's mine the Superman world and let's start bringing in all these characters and all these superheroes and all these other ideas that come from the world of Superman, but let's put them into the show about Clark Kent before he becomes Superman. So they were really doing everything, making it a Superman show without using Superman. And that kind of frustrated me because all these things were coming, they're putting the horse, the, the cart in front of the horse. And um, it just kind of, it, it, it aggravated me. And uh, I, I loved Smallville. I watched every episode and, I, and, you know, it doesn't air here in Australia. So I had to go about getting them off online. And, and you know, so it was an effort for me to actually get to watch the show. And I put, that, put in that effort because I enjoyed the show. But I felt let down by it at times. And um, the finale, while it was uplifting and I felt really great about it and I had a smile from ear to ear uh, once it had finished... I looked back at it and I thought, you know what, I felt a bit cheated by what they did and the fact that Tom Welling wasn't in the suit. And I know that's you know, a stumbling block for me and a lot of people saying, oh, you, we only ever expected him to do the shirt rip at the end. Well, if that was all they showed, that would have been fine, but they didn't. They showed Superman. They showed a, a cartoon character of Superman and they put Superman in the episode, but they didn't put Tom Welling in the Superman suit. That's the difference. If that was all, if everything else didn't happen, if they didn't show any part of Superman whatsoever, if the episode just finished, the series just finished with him running towards the camera, ripping open his shirt, I would have been fine with it. But they didn't. They actually showed Superman, but they didn't show Tom Welling as Superman, and that was that was a cheat for me. That I felt cheated by that. Uh, yeah, I agree with you there, and I think it, not only that, but all, all the time they've had to prepare, if that's what they were going to do, and they didn't want to put the effort into building a suit or testing it or Tom didn't want to wear it or whatever the explanation is, I've heard many, um, the CGI could have been a little bit <laughs> – could have been a little bit better. I mean, it was it was almost as if they they didn't even finish it from computer status. They they did it. They made they they made it up, and then they didn't polish it. You know, I've watched some of the behind the scenes on shows like Ice Age or something, and you see before they even put in the little hairs that are supposed to move individually mm-hmm. when wind blows on them. It almost looks like 
that. It almost looked like they 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 kind of got to a point where it looked okay, but they didn't quite finish it. And and they said, oh well, you know, time's up, so let's just throw it in. Yeah, I think they call it previs, previsualization. Yeah, 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 previs. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, it was it was disappointing in that fact. But again, we are Smallville fans. We've watched all ten seasons. Um, the show, you know, as a whole, it was entertaining. Um, but there were, as you said, um, things that they did with the show that were a letdown. They wasted time on things like witches and, and, and vampires and, and things that uh, were flavour of the month in other mediums. And they tried yeah, to coattail on, you know, ride the coattails of, of things like, um, you know, the vampire diaries and the Twilight stuff with the vampires. They tried to uh, do a, of course, the, um, the big movie of the time was uh, the Hangover. They tried to do a Hangover episode, and it was they like did a they were saw just episode. yeah, exactly the Saw episode. <laughs> they, they were just writing. They were trying to do their own version of things that were popular with a with a Superman Smallville spin, and that wasted a lot of time for me. I think I think that they I felt that they could have done a lot more. I think they killed off characters too early, and maybe that was because the characters were the actors were ready to leave. You know, Jonathan could have stuck around a lot longer. Um, they dragged out Lana way too long, and she became a character that was despised by many people, not because of Kristen Krug, but because of the writers and what they wrote for her. Uh, Lionel went too early. Lex went too early. You know, um, the show went on too long, even though I'd love it to go on forever. Um, it, it was stagnant in its progression. I have to say, I think that when you have uh, an actor of, of a caliber of John Glover, um, you know, a stage actor, a theatrically trained actor, an actor that, sure, we don't see a lot. He's not a big name. He's not in giant movies. Uh, but he's lending himself to this series and doing such a fantastic job. Those scenes back and forth between he and Lex uh, in the earlier seasons, Michael Rosenbaum, were fantastic. They were the ones that I watched it for. They were, you know, Clark is, you know, I love Superman. He's been my favorite forever, and I am a Smallville fan, but I'm, again, disappointed by it. But but Lex and, and, and uh, Lionel together were some of the greatest, most gripping scenes that I've seen uh, in shows and the way they talked to each other and the way they went back and forth. And I think, you know, he's not going to say it. People aren't going to say these things. But Michael Rosenbaum says, you know, if I'm evil now, my what I signed on to do is done. Lex, this was supposed to just as it was supposed to show how Clark becomes Superman. It showed how Lex becomes Lex, the Lex, you know, the evil Lex, the enemy of Superman. So now if that's done. I don't really have anywhere else to go. So for me as an actor, it's no longer interesting. And I think with Lionel, with uh, John Glover, the same kind of thing. It's kind of like, you know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an actor who's on stage. I'm an actor who has the projects that I really want to be doing passing me by because I'm on this show that just kind of spins its wheels all the time. They don't even know if I want to be a villain, if I want to be a good guy, if I want to be a Thanksgiving dinner with Clark, or if I want to be trying to kill his mother. They don't know what, what they want me to be doing, and, and I think that that can be frustrating, and it was frustrating to me as a viewer. And if I'm John Glover, I think it, it, it probably also could get frustrating. Yep. And uh, so it's done now. We've ten seasons of of Smallville. It, uh, you know, congratulations to them for going that long. They've broken the record for the longest running U.S. sci-fi fantasy series. Um, you know, running non-stop and um, beating Stargate SG One. So uh, that's an accomplishment in itself. And um, you know, many fans loved it, and many fans were you know um, totally enraptured by it, and and were you know. We're very forgiving of all the other things that uh, we've just pointed out, but uh, 
whatever it was to you, um, it's now done, and uh, we look forward to uh, to other uh, stuff going on around Superman. Um, and if you are a fan of Smallville, well, the complete series DVD box set uh, will be out in the next few months. Um, it'll include all 218 episodes, uh, which is over five hours of, with over five hours of newly added special features, such as an unaired and never before seen Superboy pilot from 1961, uh, 90 minutes of retrospective. Uh, uh, interviews um, and uh, the 2010 final Comic Con panel that was um, where they uh, the cast and crew were there in 2010 at uh, the San Diego Comic Con. So lots to look forward to in that complete series DVD box set. I know a lot of people are going, oh, I just bought each season, you know, uh, as they came out. Now I'm expected to buy the complete series DVD box set. And why aren't they on Blu-ray? And they're saying, well, they're not good enough quality, some of the earlier seasons, to be released on Blu-ray. So uh, there's a lot of conjecture about the box set, but um, it was always going to happen. Every show that's gone on for a number of seasons, they always come out with a complete series DVD box set, and uh, Smallville is no different. As much as I get uh, attacked, at least recently, for uh, my uh, hack a portrayal of the the review of the finale. Um, I do have all nine seasons of uh, Smallville, um, and I have uh, from four or five onward on Blu-ray. Whenever they started uh, releasing them on mm-hmm. Blu-ray, and there's a huge difference, at least in my area. My CW isn't even in HD, even though it says available in HD when the show starts. Yeah. So it looks all kind of gray. It's hard to see at times. When you watch it on the Blu-ray, it's it's just fantastic, and I would hope that they would uh, release the complete series uh, box set in Blu-ray. But if they are, if it's correct in that those first seasons weren't in high def, so the transfer wouldn't be very good, then I guess that's that's a good explanation. But how about the the five or six that were in, and you know, at least include those in in the set? I, I would say, and yeah, I agree with the fans who. Uh, it's kind of like a George Lucas move in a lot of ways. I mean, how many times has Star Wars been released on videotape with different covers, with this, with that, and then DVD, and then, you know, and it's going to come out on Blu-ray soon. Um, and a lot of fans that are completists buy every set, yeah. and that's what they hope for when they do this thing. <laughs> exactly. But in reality, if you have them all, you have them all. Unless you really want to have your whole collection complete and have everything that ever had a Superman symbol on it in your collection... Uh, and you want to see the five hours of footage that hasn't been seen before, which I'm kind of interested in. But I, you know, I already have what I have, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna buy this set myself. But it's not necessarily for you if you already have all the seasons. Um, this might be for someone who was waiting for this, knowing that it was going to come, and really loved the tenth season and, and is really ramped, you know, vamped up about going and watching the whole thing again. Yep. they'll they'll buy the set, and it's you know. It's a cool thing. Yeah. Also, the Smallville, the complete musical score, is now available uh, to download from iTunes or from Amazon. Uh, Water Tower Music uh, announced the release of the complete uh, series score. Uh, it's 28 songs in the collection featuring nearly 70 minutes of music from composers Mark Snow and Louis Fabray. Uh, it features almost uh, oh, all the songs were handpicked by the composers themselves. So uh, with 70 minutes worth of music, uh, you know, if you're interested... Uh, for Smallville fans, uh, start downloading if you haven't already. Uh, you can buy individual tracks or you can buy the complete series uh, musical score uh, from, as I said, iTunes or Amazon.com or other uh, online digital places. Cool. Very cool. Now, uh, moving into other TV talk, uh, Young Justice, which you're a big fan of, is, is coming back with new episodes in June. 
the first one is titled Targets and will air on Friday, June 3rd at 7pm on Cartoon Network. Uh, but in the meantime, they are showing reruns and repeats of uh, the previous episodes that have already aired. Uh, so Young Justice uh, coming back in June. If you haven't seen it, I'll say it again. Check it out. It's 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 real good. I mean, it's not, you know, my dad's one of these guys who said, oh, you're going to put on a cartoon for me whenever I take one of these direct-to-DVD uh, <laughs> WB animated features over. And generally, he, he, he likes it, but uh, he has this kind of uh, – pre-sense that it's for kids because it's a cartoon yeah. but uh and i think kids can watch these but it's also it also has some deepness to it and some stuff kids might not get uh, because they're not looking for that kids are looking for a lot of action and, and superheroes and costumes and you get that too and uh, i think it's it's, it's it's a great show they're doing Definitely. a great job now uh i kind of get a bit uh irritated by warner brothers home video with their dvd releases they're releasing young Me justice too. Season 1, Volume 1 on DVD, uh, which will go on sale July 19th. And this Season 1, Volume 1 has four episodes, the first four episodes of the series. And you kind of wonder, what, like, really, what's the point? I mean, is it, why only four episodes? Why not just wait for the season to come out as a whole and, and release the whole season on DVD? Well, this truly is, I think, more so than the Smallville thing or having a box set uh, even after you've released other seasons is really just a money-grubbing uh, business yeah. move. Uh, they know that parents are going to be out in Walmart or they're going to be out in a store and kids going to see Superboy on the cover or Robin or and go, oh, can we get this? And, you know, it's nine ninety nine or whatever it is. And yeah. It's no big deal, and they buy it. So, you know, you get 20 mothers every 20 minutes with their 5-year-old pulling on their leg to get them this, and, and they're going to do it. And then, and then at the end of the season, when all of the episodes are out, they get people like us who really love the show, who now want to have the full season. So then they get that money too. And maybe someone else in the same family of the kid who was pulling on his mother's leg says, oh, this would be a good gift for Johnny for Christmas. And then they buy it again. So, And then you have completists, as we were saying before, <laughs> who need to have everything. in the And, and the corporations are, are, are betting on this. They're hoping for this. They want people who want to collect every item, and, and, and they get their money's worth by doing that. Yeah, I definitely think that these uh, four episodes on a DVD are aimed specifically for the quick purchase at the checkout, you know, the nine ninety nine, as you said, price point, and then it's like, yeah, it's a cheap buy, and it's more for the, the average person out there, not for the people who necessarily watch it on TV or catch it every episode and look for the episode schedules to make sure when it's on. This is just a, you know, um, an impulse buy for many people. Yeah, I think so too. Okay, well, uh, moving away from our TV discussion, um, comic books, uh, Action Comics 900 really, really made a splash in the world as a whole. Uh, it hit the hit the um, the major news outlets with this story of Superman renouncing his U.S. citizenship, and really, it was only one small story. Uh, I think it was nine pages in total. One small in a hundred page issue. Um, yeah. It uh, it made such a splash. It was a big deal. I'm actually surprised. It feels like we've already talked about this, but I guess it's just been so long, um, and it, it came out real near to the last time we did yep. the last Radio Cal, and we didn't actually get to it, but I've talked to some people about it. I've made comments. I've answered some people. They've asked me things. I've asked other people. Um, but, it, yeah, it was a big news item. I think um, 
that maybe DC and the writers were trying to get noticed um, by writing this. I, I'm not sure how anybody feels about that, but I also get the impression, you know, reading the message boards, some people are so polarized that now they're going to boycott the movie because the writer of the movie also write, wrote this story, and if he's going to, you know, turn his back on America like that, and then I can't, you know, uh, support any big-budget movie he's going to try to make, so just count me out. And Some people are, you know, maybe a little more, um, understanding of the issue and say, no, you know, it's 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 one issue, it's one little story. It's not even necessarily in continuity. Um, it doesn't necessarily bode that for the future of Superman, he's turned his back on America. Yeah, exactly. I think it was it was kind of taken out of context a lot. Uh, it wasn't um, as if it was necessarily an in incontinuity story, and. Um, yeah, it really polarised a lot of people. A lot of people saying, yeah, you know, I've always seen Superman as being a universal, global hero, you know. Um, and it makes sense that, you know, he would be wanting to save everybody, not just Americans. And if by saving somebody in, in Iran, as it was in his story, not saving but showing, um, you know, his solidarity with uh, protesters in Iran, then, um, you know, if that's going to be seen as something that the US government... Um, you know his his actions reflecting on U.S. policy, then um, you know it would it made sense in the story that was written for him to do what he to say he was going to do what he was what he's going to do, but um, yeah it was really you know people started calling him a communist people started you know <laughs> um, calling these people were emailing me saying that they're going to burn their com well, their sons had burnt their comic books and they're never going to buy Superman comic books again and um, you know that DC were a bunch of communists and rednecks and not rednecks sorry um you know um, you know just um, uh, had something to do with um, Muslims and, and Islam, and because of Iran being, you know, it was just it was went ridiculous, and I was just and people were sending me hate mail like it was me. I think that, if I, 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 I can only I can only equate this to these must be people that didn't even read the story exactly, and they just heard it online, they saw it on the news, they like, oh Superman renounced his citizenship, and technically he's not actually renouncing any citizenship. He he says that. Be, based on the issue at hand because he doesn't want there to be war between America and this country. Uh, he even says, the guy says to Superman, this you know, is, is being considered an act of war, and he says, well, then I'll renounce my citizenship. That way, America is not involved. And, and his, like you said, his solidarity with the people on the ground, his, his trying to show a connection to them, trying to show that He's not going to move, but he's also not going to interfere, and it works. You know, the soldier takes the flower, and there is no bloodshed, at least at that point. And I think more important than one little moment where Superman says, so there's not a war, or so this isn't considered an act of war, I'll renounce my citizenship. Again, that's Superman doing the heroic thing. That's Superman saying, I'm not going to pull America into a war with another country because they're trying to pin this on the government right now because I happen to be over here, so I'll just say I'm not even an American. Uh, I'm just here to help, which I always am here to help. I've always been here to help. You know, since the 30s, he's been here to help. That's what he does. So him going over there and helping was him being Superman. Um, and I think the renouncing of the, of, the, of the citizenship is just something that was played up in the news and online and on blogs and people talking about it, and everybody got upset over something that really is not, a, is not really an issue. 
Yeah, and uh, they were really jumped on that whole truth, justice, and the American way. And people were saying, "Well, how come he do- if he doesn't stand for the American way, and he's standing that from from the beginning, he's always been for the American?" Way. Like, Hang on, no, no, no. The American way was a slogan that was thrown in within in the nineteen fifties. He wasn't always the American way in in the you know from earlier. Actually, it was he was uh, it was public enemy number one in the nineteen thirties. You know, it was always. Um, you know, the government, the police are looking for this mass, for this caped hero. Uh, he never stood stuck around to to uh, accept congratulations or to answer questions in regards to uh, solving these crimes or whatever it was that he was doing. So, um, you know, he hasn't always stood for uh, truth, justice in the American way. It was truth and justice and freedom and all that kind of stuff. And the American way is an ideal that uh, embodies those uh, things that Superman stands for. So he still stands for this ideal of the American way, but the American way isn't exclusive to Americans. Right, and I think now, you know, in the in the modern day of Superman, it's kind of just grown to be a slogan. It's not really – he doesn't walk around waving a flag and saying that all the time. It's just something that's there. And so I think people who are – who are comfortable with things that they've always experienced, that they've always lived with, that, that that they grew up with. When they hear something like this, it's upsetting to them at their core because they feel like something that they could always count on has been altered now uh, irrevocab- irrevocably, and, and, and that now the hero that they grew up with is something different. So they may use words like communist. They may use words like traitor. They may say things like, I'm not going to buy this. I'm not going to buy that. But I think if you calm down and if you realize what it was about and, and what it was referring to, that and, and that it's just a story on its own. It's not necessarily in continuity or, or what the D.C. people believe or that it's somebody's politics or that it's somebody trying to make a statement against America. If you just read it for what it is, the story, I, I, don't, I don't think it should be that upsetting. So maybe try and – Maybe try and read the actual story, go back, look at it, and see if you really feel the way that you think you might feel or how it actually makes you feel to see Superman doing this heroic thing as he always does and what it causes him to have to do so that things don't escalate to a worse situation. I think it's interesting also, too, that uh, the story that in question was actually written by David Goya, who's the writer uh, with Christopher Nolan for the new Man of Steel film coming out in 2012. So um, I think that had it caught, raised a few eyebrows. Yeah, I mentioned that earlier when I was saying um, that people are now saying they're going to boycott the film. Not everybody, but people who are really against this whole idea of renouncing the citizenship, um, saying things like now Goyer is, you know, putting his uh, political ideals into Superman and trying to change what he is because he doesn't like the current political climate in America and he's making a statement against the government. Maybe he is. Maybe he isn't. Maybe he has a problem. Maybe he doesn't. But the story in and of itself is a story that I could see realistically happening exactly the way it plays out based on the fears and the reasons that both men give in the story for him doing what he does. Yeah. Now, uh, the other Superman comic that came out in this last month since our last podcast uh, for Superman fans was Superman 711, which uh, saw Superman facing off against Livewire. Um, it started off in Utah and then he's gone, uh, the cover shows Las Vegas. And um, yeah, it's, uh, I always enjoy seeing characters that were created for the Superman the Animated Series come back into the comic books. And Livewire has been around in the comic books for a while now. But she kind of went good, and now uh, for some reason in this story, if you read it, um, she uh, goes a bit uh, bit haywire for Livewire. 
<laughs> uh, I'm actually a little behind, so I haven't read this issue myself. Um, but yeah, Livewire was fun on the show. Part of it was uh, Lori Petty doing yeah. the voice on the animated series. Uh, just made it a real fun kind of. She was a she was a Howard Stern type radio host, and for some reason, just hated superheroes and hated Superman. And and then of course, coincidentally, she was turned into Livewire when she went out and did a live uh, appearance, and was then able to use her powers against Superman. So I'm not sure what the reasoning is behind kind of. Uh, turning her to sort of a nice person and now back to being against Superman or whatever. Um, but again, this story has been kind of uh, segmented. Um, it's kind of, uh, we see this uh, teacher lady who seems to be behind some sort of mental attack on Superman, but we really haven't seen exactly what that's about. And and uh, and in, in action, of course, he is currently uh, back uh, out from, you know, return from his walkabout, and yet he hasn't, because that story hasn't ended yet, so um, I'm not even sure that they're they're completely happy with the way it turned out in terms of continuity and, and where he is here and where he was there and, and what's going on, but uh, I'll be interested to read the live wire story nonetheless. Yeah, well, I'm, I'll get back to the continuity issues in a second, but at the end of uh, Superman 711, uh, she's she she requires Superman's uh, assistance, and he actually uh, gets his old uh, Superman blue costume from the Fortress of Solitude. And um, she um, Leslie ends up in the uh, in the Superman blue costume and changes the uh, the S on it to an L for for Livewire for Leslie. Be it, be that as it may. So um, interesting use of that of the Superman blue costume. Well, that is interesting. Um, um, now I'm very interested to read it because uh, for those who know or those who don't know, when he became Superman Blue, he had electrical powers and his eyes glowed with electricity and you know he could fire electricity from his body and he could turn into a bolt and, and travel through um, you know, uh, means of transportation by electric. And, uh, so that kind of fits exactly what Livewire is. Exactly. So if she's, you know, if they're going to be friends now or whatever, uh, and I guess she's going to be a member of the Superman family, at least for the time <laughs> being, uh, it's kind of neat. Uh, yeah. Odd, but odd. neat. Yeah. And, uh, you mentioned the continuity issues. It's the, the grounded storyline. There is light at the end of the tunnel. We've seen in the latest solicitations that his last stop on his walk across America, uh, is in sight. Um, but at the moment, we've got, you know, with the the reign of doomsdays um, going on, you know, with uh, Superboy and with uh, um, Supergirl and Steel and, you know, these other characters, and they're kind of crossing over into those other books. JLA had a crossover with this reign of doomsdays story. Um, and Superman is there, but he's also on his walk around America. So is he there or is he not there? Um, there's no real... You know, you, if you just kind of came into Superman now and tried to buy action and Superman at the same time, you'd be really confused as to where he really is. Uh, Superboy, you know, at the end of this of the most um, recent Superboy comic, he, um, you know, he's done. It's kind of set four months after what happened with the Reign of Doomsday. So there's kind of a real problem with just where all these fit into each other, and um, you can't be reading. Superman and action comics at the same time, like as in the same month, and realize that they're not set in the same time period. They're, you know, they're kind of separate by a few months somehow. Yeah, it's very strange the situation that they've kind of painted themselves into. 
at a time when I don't even know if it was necessary to do this event book with Doomsday and at, at this particular moment. Mm. Uh, they could have waited until after Superman number 712, which I imagine is the ending, because my understanding was it was supposed to be a year-long arc that started with number 700 and therefore would go 12 months, which would be then 712, uh, and that J. Michael Straczynski was a part of it, and now he's not, and everybody got upset, and people took over. But I think the idea was that for that 12-month period, he was supposed to be traveling the country, reconnecting with the regular folk and trying to find what he might have missed being away for a year when he was in the new Krypton arc. Um, and now they, they kind of slapped this doomsday thing in with three issues to go on the, on the, on the grounded thing and, and wherever Superboy is and his thing and, and Supergirl in the JLA is in a different costume and she's dark and, and but in her book she's uh, fighting these kids from UCLA or wherever the heck they're from. Uh, and 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 they're you know they got this app on their phones that can track superheroes and they're trying to kill her. But at the same time, in the Doomsday books, she's up on a space station fighting Doomsday. So yeah, it's very uh, they're unlinked completely. I think this is the worst it's been since they removed the diamonds with the numbers on them. Yeah, uh, that actually had each book connected and things that were going on flowed from one book to the next. And I understand that that's hard to do when you have whole teams of writers for each book and, and trying to get them all on the same page and each writer wants to do their own thing and now you're telling them they all have to follow for an entire year. They have to flow into the next story and that means they have to meet with the other writers and they have to have big conferences where everybody knows what's going on. But again, sometimes you produce good stories that way and sometimes you produce good stories this way. But I think that the continuity issue can be very confusing and I, it would be better if they would have just waited until the grounded thing was done and then taken Superboy from his books where he is now into this story and, and, and kind of included the Superboy book, however they would do that, in this story so that it wasn't loose. The same with Supergirl. Yeah. And just to clarify, the final issue of Superman's Walk Across America, the grounded story, ends in Superman 714, which comes out in August. Uh, where he stops at uh, in Seattle, and uh, the uh, solicitation for it reads: um, the myster- mysterious mysterious woman who has been following Superman all year makes a desperate final move, one that may cost the man of steel that which he holds most dear. Okay, <laughs> clearly it doesn't cost him as much as we would think that he might hold dear, because. Uh, you know, in the I imagine the Doomsday thing takes place after, because when he came back, he was walking from the moment he came back from Krypton. So this has to take place after, and everything seems to be normal with mm. Super. I mean, he's back to being Superman. He's doing what Superman does. But uh, who knows? Again, the continuity issue makes it very and fourteen. Why fourteen instead of twelve? They say you know uh, the woman has been following Superman all year. A year is twelve months. Hmm. Uh, but and now because they had two or three filler episodes in the middle after J. Michael Straczynski left and all that, I think it ended up extending this twelve-month arc into fourteen. Yeah, I think that's uh, what's what. What did they have? Did they had two or three, uh, you know, um, interludes. Yeah, that, yeah, they had that one with Lois uh, meeting up an old, with an old friend or an old boyfriend um, on you yep. know, which was one of the uh, interludes, as you said. Yeah. Now, uh, so that's the comic books, and um, we'll uh, we'll move away from that. And and the seventy uh, third uh, anniversary of Superman 
was uh, something that DC Comics kind of made a big deal about us on you know Twitter and and Facebook and um, and you know so, and they said it was they did it on May third and they're going you know happy seventy third birthday Superman and it kind of got spread around and then I got a lot of people saying to me hang on isn't Superman's anniversary supposed to be on April eighteenth you know why DC doing it on May third so uh, I mean it has been seventy three years since Superman was originated uh, in Action Comics number one uh, and it had a um, a June uh, 1938 cover date, but uh, as to when it actually was released in stores or on shelves uh, is uh, is what the conjecture is about. And many people think it's April 18th, and a lot of experts say it's April 18th, but for some reason DC Comics were uh, celebrating it on May 3rd. Well, I think here what we have is, a, is an issue of uh, possibly historical receipts uh, not matching up with one date or the other, but around this area uh, of time between April 18th and May 3rd, and uh, DC just picking a day. I don't really know that anybody's saying this is the first day that a dollar was ever spent, uh, was ever broken for the 10 cents it cost to buy the the the, the action comics with him on it. I think um, I think people again take things too literally. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know that. They're saying May third is the day, and we, you know, if you disagree with us, then you know, go buy Marvel. You know, I just think that it's just the day they chose to say this is our day, and this is what we're going to say is the day. Yeah, they may have just realized, oh, oh, Superman's seventy third anniversary kind of just went by. Let's uh, make a, a point of it, and it happened to be May third. But um, uh, for those experts who were saying April eighteenth, they're backed up by documents that were released in the ongoing legal battle between the Seagulls and Schuster families and DC Comics. So um, April 18th is, I guess, the official uh, documented date, but, um, yeah, DC were just celebrating it in early May. So um, take that as you as you will. Um, and I think you also you celebrate an anniversary. Um, you could celebrate it the whole year. So they true. may have said May 3rd is the day. And, yeah, you know, it's a quiet news day. Let's do it. 73rd year. And yeah. technically 73. I mean, what is 73? Normally it's, you know, <laughs> 75 is the big one or 100, you know. Yeah. 27 years from now when we get to 100, let's have something big happen, you know. For sure. Or even on the 75th, let's yeah. do something really big. Yeah. Uh, well, DC have actually... Uh, we uh, saw in the last couple of days before recording this podcast that there's going to be some bombshell announcement uh, regarding Superman and indeed the the whole DC universe that Jim Lee and Jeff Johns will be announcing at the um, um, Hero Complex uh, convention in LA in early June. So it will be interesting to see what they come out with. And a lot of people are saying, oh, they're going to restart everything to, to number one again. They're going to be, re, you know, starting from scratch and renumbering everything. And um, uh, I don't know. It's it, it's all rumor and conjecture at this point in time. But um, there is some big announcement coming in early June. And I guess we'll be talking about that come uh, issue 76 of Radio KAL. Uh, yeah. I mean, oh, sorry, I, 78. I think I got to say when they do things like that, I'm not of the belief that that's what they're going to do. It's possible. But if you look at what they tried to do a few times already, uh, they did it with Wonder Woman. When she came back, uh, they went back to one, and then they got up to about nine, and then they changed her issues back to Original whatever numbering. the historical actual numbering was. Yep. They did the same thing with Superman. Um, uh, what was it? Uh, Adventures of Superman, yeah. Uh, yeah, and they started that, and then now, now I guess the Adventures comic is back to being numbered 
what Adventures of Superman was or, or something along those lines where it was initially started and it was one, Adventures 1, and now they've, they've, they've transposed the numbers to where it's now 8, 19, or whatever it was again. Yeah, 518, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah, so so. I, I, it seems to me that they, they decide after they do something like that that they really want to honor everything that came before and yeah. that the true number is what the number should have been. So I don't know that they would restart from one again. No, well, I mean, especially celebrating Action Comics 900 with the, you know, it's such a big way that they did. You'd think they'd want to get a 1,000. You wouldn't think that they would start from scratch. And, and so, you know, maybe that is it, but uh, it seems to me it would be something more than that. And, um, you know, I just I also find it interesting that they're doing it at a convention that's not necessarily one of the big ones. So you'd think a, a big announcement, if it was such a bombshell announcement, would be done at San Diego Comic Con or uh, you know, one at New York or somewhere like that. But uh, they're doing it at the uh, at the Hero Complex one in LA. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see what it's going to be. I love both those guys. I uh, met uh, both of them at Comic-Con in 2008 in New York City, and uh, they were working on the DC Online game. Um, so, you know, uh, everybody seems to like Jeff Johns as a writer in general, and Jim Lee's uh, does some great artwork. So let's see what they come up with. Yeah, now the Superman celebration uh, is coming up very quickly in June 9th to June 12th uh, in Metropolis, Illinois, and uh, we will be uh, covering that with... Uh, Jamie Kelly and his wife Rhonda being Clark and Lois again for us, reporting on all the events from the Superman celebration. Uh, the Superman homepage meet and greet will be held on the uh, June 10th, uh, the Friday at 10.30am uh, at Hardy's, the uh, fast food restaurant there just around the corner from the Superman statue. So um, it, there's... And the big announcement that, uh, you know, we, we've already had guys like Sam Huntington and... and um, Mark Pillow from... Uh, that was a drum roll. Yeah, I figured that's what it was. Uh, Mark Pillow, who played the nuclear man. But uh, the big announcement that came out was nuclear Brandon Routh. Man. Brandon, Ra- Brandon Routh was, is going to be one of the uh, special guests at the 2011 Superman celebration, which I think... Right, pro- Dylan Dog himself. <laughs> which I think is probably the first time I've actually had an actor who played Superman uh, at the celebration. I mean, Christopher Reeve never made it. And, uh, um, you know, I don't think Dean Cain's ever been there. Uh, Tom Welling definitely hasn't been there, and uh, you know I don't think uh, George Reeves or Kirk Allen were still alive uh, when they really started bringing uh, major special guests to the Superman celebration. So um, Brandon Routh is is going to be there this year, and uh, you know I envy all those people attending. I I feel exactly the same way. I'm in the same boat. I heard that. And I, I started looking at my checkbook and my finances, <laughs> and I started looking for poker tournaments I could enter and win so that I could get money to go. I want to, I mean, I've told my family that I would go every year yeah. if I had the ability to go every year. And I really would. The time that I had there in 2008 was so great that I got to tell everybody again, I've said it before, if you get the opportunity to go, do go. Uh, Steve and I were there. Uh, we didn't go together, but we met when we were there. And it was uh, Neil Bailey was there, and Michael Bailey was there, and lots of other Superman homepage members and staff and everybody else. And it was just a great time celebrating together. 
what, what we all love and, and, and just having a great time being around people who feel the same way and mm -hmm. families were there and kids were there and it was just a great time. And now that I knew I wasn't going, I, I don't know when I'm going to get to go again. And then they, they kind of announced this and it's almost like Luther put the kryptonite shard in my back and <laughs> threw me off a cliff. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, so uh, big news for people who are attending this year. Uh, Yay for you. Yeah, good on you. Uh, um, and uh, we, like Scotty and I, both envy you. And, um, but we will be covering, for everybody else who can't attend and is in the same boat as Scotty and I, we will be covering the events uh, via Jamie and Rhonda Kelly at the Superman, home, uh, Superman homepage. So be sure to, to keep an eye on the site um, and, uh, and, and follow the, the videos and all the reports uh, that are posted from the Superman celebration in Metropolis, Illinois. Now, right. before we get into the big questions segment, uh, we had the sa sad passing of Jackie Cooper, who played Perry White in the Superman movies starring Christopher Reeve. Uh, he was aged 88, and uh, our condolences to his family and friends. This is going to be the biggest story since, well, since God talked to Moses. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, man, uh... He was quite a fireball. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, uh, he was in so many things throughout his life. And exactly. For me and for us, uh, he was Perry White, and yeah. I never really watched much with him in it. But uh, when I was watching a retrospective of some kind on Entertainment Tonight or on one of those shows, and uh, they showed him, you know, as a boy in, in a boxing movie, uh, and, and as a boy in like the Little Rascals, just yep. very. Very classic stuff, and, and and an actor since he was young, and um, just clearly uh, turned out a, a class act and a, a guy who, uh, who who knew who he was, and 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 didn't uh, you know a lot of these child actors burn out or go crazy or go go on drugs or, and uh, he seemingly made it through and and uh, had some great stories to tell and um, and and had a, a lot of things that that he was involved with throughout his life, and of course for us. Perry White from the uh, Richard Donner film. Exactly. So, uh, like I said, once again, on behalf of everybody from the Superman homepage, our condolences to all his family and friends at the passing of Jackie Cooper. Let's start with the big question. So, the big question segment of the month. Uh, what was our question last month? What did you think of the Smallville series finale? Yeah, we got... Uh, we, we asked the question before the finale had even aired, you know, knowing that it would be airing uh, by the time we got to this podcast. So we had a few responses. Uh, who was up first? Uh, we had Bob Moorhead who wrote, They did it. They paid us off. He put on the suit. He flew out of the fortress. He saved the plane. He did the reveal as John Williams played. It took 10 years and a lot of missteps, but they paid us off and left, no left us nothing wanting. Thank you for not letting us down. Well, Bob was very happy uh, for the series finale and the way they did it, so uh, that's great. Um, Bork from Ork wrote, uh, Finally seeing Clark embrace his destiny after all these years was one of the most intense and overwhelming experiences I've had as a fan of Superman and comic books in general. I had a few issues, like the quick resolution of the villains and what happened to Lex, although I didn't mind the lack of screen time for the costume since the fact still remained that Clark was wearing it. Overall, overall, it was a worthy ending. I just hope they release an extended cut of the finale on DVD, including the footage that was cut from the broadcast. Are we aware that there was footage cut from the... Was there something specific cut from the broadcast? Um, I think there was some... Uh, 
scenes that were not crucial to the story, but um, you know there are always scenes that are left on the on the cutting room floor, as it were. Um, but nothing that was necessarily um, mind blowing. I don't think like there was no shots of Tom Welling in the suit or anything like of that magnitude that was left out. Um, I think they were more just like beats uh, for some of the character uh, points along the way. So nothing that. Um, I think is something that, you know, say like with Superman Returns, we missed out that whole section of the beginning where he uh, was, you know, looking for Krypton. So um, nothing of great magnitude that I know of. Okay. Uh, We have Dan who wrote, I was unfortunately not as impressed as I thought I would be with the series finale of Smallville. Things seemed to get get cleaned up way too easy in the show, and the big battle with Darkseid was settled with Clark, not the Blur, not Superman, flying through Darkseid. It was a little contrived for me. I did like the ending with him ripping his shirt open to reveal the S, even if it was the Superman Returns suit. Now I just have to find something to occupy my Fridays come fall. Uh, I uh, think I've made it pretty expressed that uh, I agree with Dan here. Um, it was a, it was a, things were wrapped up really quickly, and they seem to do that on Smallville a lot. They introduce something that's supposed to go all season long, supposed to be a big threat, and then in the final episode of the season, like with Doomsday, uh, in two minutes it's all over, and then the big threat is done. So I'm with you on that, Dan. Yeah, I agree. Um, Dark Side was, you know, he just fl- flew through him, and he kind of broke up into these shadows and crows and. And even with the th- the uh, the three um, Granny and and the other two uh, minions of Darkseid, you know, all it took was Green Arrow to th- you know to shoot three arrows into them and they were gone. I mean, that was, and even with Apocalypse, all Clark did was push it out into space. And I mean, that's a big th- feat in itself. But you know, it was, you know, I mean, a planet being that close to to Earth would cause earthquakes and havoc and. And kind of, it was, you know, it it wasn't the big threat that they made it out to be. No, and they they seem to always kind of do that. Because that's, I mean, and I understand that's not really what the show is about. The no. action plot, the villains, yep. that's not what they're shooting for on the show. But if you set something up that's supposed to be a giant big deal and then kind of just toss it away with a few lines of dialogue or, or a strange push of a, an entire planet back out into the solar system people are going to have questions and you know that's i think what happened there yep now hector wrote hey guys i started watching smallville when i was 13 now i'm 23 i love the final episode of smallville the first hour was okay but the second hour was great i'm sad at the fact that tess dies i love how everybody came back for the finale except pete don't care for lana I'm glad he put on the suit and flew, but anyway, thank you, Smallville, for 10 great years. Now that the show is over, there is no need to listen to the pod- podcast. Just kidding. You guys are great. <laughs> Hector, I'm with you. Uh, I got to say, though, um, when the show started and I didn't see names like John Schneider, uh, uh, you know, Pete's name, Sam Ross III, uh, Kristen Kruick, uh, I didn't expect them because I didn't heard anything, you know. But but if I were doing the finale, one thing I would have done was uh, get all the core cast members. And I know Lana's been written out, and I know she's out of his life now. But even in the comics and in other aspects, Lana's always kind of there. She's back there. She's she's got things going on in her in in, in and around her life. And Clark is still a part of her life. And I, I think they almost wrote themselves into a horrible corner with Lana with what they did with her so it would have been almost impossible to bring her back but I think it's unfortunate that they were unable to get Pete and Lana and kind of have a wrap up to them or at least let us all know they were still there 
uh, even though I got turned away from Lana myself. Uh, again, as we were saying earlier, with what the writers did to her and some of the situations they put her in. Yeah, definitely. So uh, who was next? We have uh, Calvin Bowes, uh, one of our... Uh, one of our good friends, Calvin, he uh, said it's been 10 years, and finally, in the last 10 minutes of hundreds of hours of programming, we finally see Superman on the Superman show. The last 10 minutes was awesome, but I really wish they would have done this five years ago. We also got to see a truly evil Lex instead of this misunderstood kid. The show, however, didn't feel like a last episode. It actually felt more like a first episode. This episode could have been a pilot. Some disappointments, but overall, the best episode since season three. Yeah, it did feel like a beginning in ways, didn't it? Uh, it, it well, it is. It's the beginning of uh, the adventures of Superman. But, um, yeah, so uh, it it, uh, it did have that feel about it. Um, now, Starla Bowes, who's Calvin's daughter, wrote, I was just a baby when the show started. I haven't seen all the episodes because my daddy wouldn't let me because he, he said it was not good for me to see some of the episodes because they were too violent. But even though this one was kind of violent, he let me watch this one. The cool part is that Clark got to be Superman that made this girl very happy. I only wish he had been Superman in the last 30 minutes instead of the last 10, but they don't let girls like my my age make shows. That's very true. They did another rush job again, Starla. Uh, they, they did most of the show with the kind of back and forth of, are they going to get married? Are they not going to get married? And then they had the vows twice, and they repeated some things, and they had the big fight with Ollie, and a lot of things that they were doing that, that Smallville always does. And then the the big stuff that was supposed to, the, the hope everyone was going to see, save the world, and they rushed that into the final 11 minutes, and that, that was unfortunate. Uh, Guthrie McLean wrote, Where do I begin? I wasn't as emotional as I thought I'd be by the ending because by this point, all I wanted to see this season was the ending. I was getting tired of filler episodes, powerless Clark episodes, and episodes being about other heroes. So all I wanted to see for this season was for it to wrap up. I had enough of the filler episodes. One thing that surprised me in the finale was that they actually showed Superman in some form. But if they were going to show Superman anyway, why didn't they shoot Tom in the suit? And... Ollie and Chloe having a son? No. Lex getting amnesia? Why? Why? So I was disappointed and satisfied with the finale, but not satisfied enough. I hope the new Superman movie makes all these disappointments go away. Yeah, Guthrie makes some really good points there. Um, you know, the, we didn't touch on Lex and his amnesia. I mean, the, Tess doing that to him pretty much wiped his memory of everything uh, from when he was a, a boy in the cornfield, you know, finding it uh, with the meteorite hitting the cornfields in, in Smallville and losing his hair. And so if he'd lost all those memories and lost everything, he'd be, as Neil said in the commentary, a vegetable. <laughs> yeah, it's, there's, a, there's a possibility of that. Uh, I think... I think he would still. I think he would still know who he was and and what the world was and what a chair was, um, but it is kind of, it is kind of. It's a little like the new Star Trek movie bothered me. I love the movie, but they rewrite a lot of history by doing something like this. And fans, with this, it's only ten years. But you know, fans with Star Trek or whatever, it's been thirty years or whatever, and we know what things are and we know how they were and now they wanted to start fresh and have a new cast so they you know they race everything and, and start from the beginning and they, they kind of 
they made us watch the Smallville for 10 years and we saw Lex become who he became and we watched so many conversations and so many plots and so many things that Lex was involved with, uh, with and and they've all just kind of been wiped away and I think more than anything it was the the and and people who say that these creators and these writers never listen to anyone I think it's a little too uh too little too late but it seems to me that they were listening to what people were saying and this was their way of kind of correcting some of their mistakes and letting too many people, especially someone like Lex Luthor, find out that Clark uh, had these powers and was going to be Superman. Yeah, but it's okay for the Toy Man to know. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. And every <laughs> other villain that's been on that knows. Uh, okay. Well, <laughs> thank you to everybody for those uh, responses to the big question uh, segment. Uh, what's our new big question for this month? Uh, with new episodes of Young Justice airing on Cartoon Network in June, what do you like most about this animated series? Yeah, whether it's one of the characters that you you know you like the way Superboy is being portrayed, or um, Aqualad, or one of the others, uh, is it this uh, this shadow organization who seems to be manipulating everything in the background? Uh, whatever it is, I'm maybe it's about that. yeah, the characterization, the animation, the the music. Whatever it might be about Young Justice that's tickling your fancy, let us know uh, in the new Big Question segment. Uh, you can respond by typing in your response into the Big Question feedback form, or you can record an audio answer and send it to us as an MP3 file, and we'll play that in the next Radio KAL podcast. Uh, what's your favourite thing about uh, Young Justice, Scotty? I just think that uh, the the depth that they get into with each of the characters is 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 really great. We talked about this before. You know, they they kind of concentrate on one or two of the characters in each episode, and uh, the way that they've introduced each character, and uh, and 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 gone into some backstory with some of the other characters, and 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 just really kind of exploring each of the characters is is really they're doing it real well. Yeah, I agree. Definitely there's really real character arcs for each of the characters and they're focusing on one or two of them in each episode and I'm interested to see how the Superboy Superman um you know connection works and how their relationship grows or or what happens there. So uh, a lot to look forward to in new Young Justice episodes coming in June. So get involved with the big question and let us know what your thoughts are about the animated series. Maggie confides in Dan. What a fortuitous turn of events. I couldn't be happier for you. So what's with the long face? I guess I... I kind of forgot I had the new hand for a while. Yeah, but that helped you figure out how to use it a bit better. So ain't that a good thing? I suppose. A new player enters the game. This great company is a world leader in a myriad of fields, ranging from technology to parcel delivery, from communications to transportation. The level of superior service and quality you've come to expect is something I will strive to maintain under my stewardship. Lois reaches the boiling point. All right, that's it. That's what? Go. What do you mean, go? Go. Where? Anywhere that's not here. Oh, where's the popcorn when you need it? This is gonna be good. And Superman and Supergirl must contend with nothing. Oh, this is nuts. We've been flying for days. Have we? I'm losing all sense of time. Sure feels like it. Days, weeks, who knows? There's no frame of reference. The stars don't seem to move. Nothing seems to move. Nothing seems to anything. It's just 
empty. The journey begins in Superman, the last son of Krypton, issue 77, on May 25, 2011, only at PendantAudio.com. Are we there yet? Not yet. Well, how about now? Superman and Supergirl struggle with the journey ahead of them. How much further do we have to go? I don't know. All the Trekker is giving me is a direction. And Metallo has to deal with an unexpected visitor. I need to talk to your friend here. After what you did to him? It's okay, Toots. I got this. Tune in to Supergirl, Lost Daughter of Krypton, Episode 49, coming May 25th at PendantAudio.com. Bailey's Bookshelf. Well, Michael Bailey returns for uh, another month and he's got another trade paperback or hardcover to look at. So let's hand over to Michael now and see what he's got for us. Hey there, gang, and welcome back to Bailey's Bookshelf, the segment here on Radio KAL where I walk over to my bookcase deep in the Fortress of Baileytude to pick out a Superman trade, hardcover, or reference book to give you the skinny on. This month, I have chosen Volume 6 in a line of Superman trades that were meant to show off the... I was about to say brand new day of Superman, but again, as I think I've mentioned in the past on this segment, that's the other guy in red and blue. So let's call it a brave new era of Superman that started at the end of 1999 when editor Eddie Berganza came on and kind of reinvigorated the Superman titles. He brought with him writers like Jeff Loeb and Joe Kelly, kept on a couple of the old guard, added a couple new people down the line, and I think... Berganza's era on the books can be best described as hit and miss, and that is nothing against the man personally. There were just a lot of highs and lows in that particular time period of Superman comics. I chose volume six of the line, Return to Krypton, because it's kind of an anomaly in terms of the trades. The... Usually, they would follow kind of a, a through line of a story, and the the never-ending battle system was kind of messed up at this time, so that you wouldn't always get straight-through stories if you were following it by the little shields in these trades. They would skip around to make the story flow a little better. What they did in Volume 6 was reprint two four-issue stories with a prologue issue at the very beginning that told the story of Superman's, well, you know, it's right there in the title, his return to Krypton. But which Krypton? And that was kind of the controversial nature of the first return to Krypton story arc, because in Superman number 166, which is the first book in this trade, a spaceship crash lands on the Kent farm, Superman comes to investigate and discovers that the Jorel that he knew in the John Byrne designed Krypton garb had lied to him and that he was really the silver slash bronze age looking Jorel from before the crisis on infinite earths and this led Superman and Lois to go back to Krypton 
where they are wrapped up in a fight with General Zod and his followers, uh, known as the Eradicators, which I thought was kind of cool. General Zod and the Eradicators kind of sounds like a indie garage band from Krypton. <laughs> I'm sure somebody will adopt it at some point. Throughout, through the course of the story, Superman and Lois are kind of hanging out with Jor-El and Laura, which allows Superman to get a little closer to his father. And this is very reminiscent of the classic Return to Krypton story from the Silver Age. In the end, uh, Superman and Lois return to their time period and are left a little present in the form of Krypto. And this is how the crypto that was running around the books at that time came into existence. Whereas now it has been retconned that he was part of Superman's past all along. Which isn't a bad thing. It's not a bad thing at all. Uh, but uh, I, I really liked what, how they brought crypto back. Because while I never thought he was an essential part of the Superman lore, it's always nice to see Superman and his dog. And I thought Jeff Loeb did a lot of really neat things with Crypto that separated it, uh, the character from his Silver and Bronze Age roots. They go back in Return to Krypton 2, which took place about a year later. And this, to me, is kind of where the concept falls apart because it is revealed, spoiler warning, at the end of this is that this isn't the real Krypton. This is a Krypton that exists in the Phantom Zone and it's kind of an alternate reality type Krypton. And I've always kind of wondered why they decided to do this. Uh, I, I don't know if Superman number 166, which was the issue that kicked off this entire story and had the whole, you know, ship coming to the Kent farm and all that was meant as kind of an opening salvo in a way to return a lot of these concepts to the Superman books and the fact that we as Superman fans, and I vividly remember this by the way, freaked out over it or if this was their idea all along. It seems kind of weird to me that they would tell such a really strong story with the first Return to Krypton story arc and have all of those great emotional beats of Superman facing off against General Zod and talking to his dad and Laura and Lois meeting each other and at the end, Jor-El finding out that Laura was pregnant. To, to, to have all of that and then to have in the second story, oh, our bad, it never really happened in the first place, seems a bit odd to me. But... Having said that, I think this story and this trade paperback in general is well worth having. It reprints Action Comics, number 776 and 793, Adventures of Superman, number 589 and 606, Superman 166, 167, and 184, and Superman the Man of Steel, number 111 and 128. And there is even a neat little character guide right there at the beginning of the story to let you know who all of the people you're going to be seeing are. This book is out of print, and has been out of print for some time. Your main source will either be Amazon or eBay, and I warn you, on the eBay front, this thing can get a little pricey. I managed to snag these in a comic shop a couple years ago uh, for cover price, but I have seen them go for a pretty hefty price. So if you can find it cheap on either eBay or Amazon, I recommend picking it up, if nothing else, for the gorgeous Ed McGinnis art in the first chapter. 
And that is it for this time. Remember to come back to the Superman homepage every Thursday-ish to check out the other podcast I do for the homepage called From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. I host that with Jeffrey Taylor, a very good friend of mine, and we are going through the Superman that existed between Man of Steel number one in 1986 and Adventures of Superman number 649 in 2006. And now, back to Steve and Scott. Well, thank you, Michael. Now, remember, if you do have a trade paperback or hardcover or some collected edition that you would like Michael to review, you can send him an email via michael at supermanhomepage.com, and I'm sure he'll endeavour to use that suggestion in a future Radio KL podcast. Only one thing alive with less than four legs can hear this frequency, Superman, and that's you. Uh, our super, super secret soundbite segment. Uh, last month's sound came from the Smallville Season 9 finale, Salvation, with four people guessing it correctly. Uh, who do we have there, Steve? Well, it's actually five people. Uh, we've got a late entry. Uh, the, oh, right. Yeah, the, uh, the five people were Sarita Luna, uh, Arjun L, Pedro Rabadan, Ismail Perez, and the late entry was David Abraham. So congratulations to those five people for guessing the super secret soundbite. Now, the with Smallville having ended, the series is done now. Um, the the super secret soundbite will be kind of uh, expanding. What we're going to do from now on, we'll grab a sound from any Superman TV show, cartoon, movie, radio series, whatever it may be. And people have to identify where it came from. So we're not asking for the specific episode, but which version of the character, i.e., say, for instance, it's a sound from Superman the movie. And that's what your answer would be, Superman the movie. Um, maybe it's uh, from the radio series. So we're going to be getting sounds from all over the Superman spectrum, and you just have to tell us which uh, version of the character it came from. So uh, it's uh, a bit different. Uh, the sounds won't necessarily be um, a, you know, a lengthy um, a sentence like they have been for Smallville, but um, see if you can guess uh, where this super secret soundbite came from. Well, if you think you know where that sound came from, uh, send in your entry via the Superman homepage website. The super secret soundbite entry form can be found on the Radio KL webpage and send your entry in. Each person who I think guesses it's, it. I think it's. Oh, I'm sorry. No, you, you go for it. I was to say, I think it's from the, the Adventures of Super Pup. Is it from Super Pup? <laughs> uh, good guess, but uh, we won't reveal the answer because maybe other people think that's where it's from. Oh, right. But uh, if you think you do know the answer, uh, get involved with the Super Secret Soundbite, and each person who guesses it right will have their name read out, uh, like the five people from earlier on, and uh, we'll do that in the next Radio KL podcast. <laughs> Superman Song Time. What do we Ooh. have? Well, in light of the Smallville finale, we uh, pay farewell to the series by playing Save Me by Remy Zero. Yeah, we've never played this song before, uh, which is surprising with 70, what are we, 77 episodes of Radio KL. We've never played the Smallville uh, sound, well, the, the theme uh, for Smallville, which was Save Me by Remy Zero. So here it is. And if you do want to find out more about Remy Zero, their website is remyzero.com. That's R-E-M-Y-Z-E-R-O or Z-E-R-O.com. Ah! 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 
Well, there you have it. That's Save Me by Remy Zero. Uh, and that's the show for another month. Very now, nice. That yeah. song definitely makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside now. Because <laughs> I, am, I am a Smallville fan, and honestly, I will miss the show. Uh, as much as it disappointed me, it was one of those things that I knew I would always get around to, and I knew I would always watch, and, and uh, I wanted to see how it would wrap up and what they would do and where they would go, and now we know. And uh, it's, it's going to be uh, interesting not having it around on Fridays. Yeah, definitely. It will be missed. Now, uh, that's the show for another month, as I said. Remember, if you do have uh, suggestions for Radio KL, maybe you've got a song you'd like to request us to play. Uh, maybe there are some topics you think we missed out on this month that you would like us to discuss. Maybe there's a big question you'd like to suggest for the big question segment of the show. All these ideas can be sent to us using the KAL feedback form found at the Superman homepage, and we'll try to use those suggestions in a future podcast. But for now, that's the show. Thank you, Scotty. Thank you, Steve. And remember, everyone, look up in the sky. You've been listening to Radio KL from supermanhomepage.com.